Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Insatiable Appetite. My name is Andrea Kwamya, Consumer Insights Consultant at the Hartman Group. And today I'm here with my colleague Stas Schekman, Senior Director of Strategic Insights, to talk about one of our current favorite topics, the ever dynamic and fast moving world of technology and food, or as we like to call it, food tech. Hi, Stas. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Andrea. Yeah, it is a fun and fascinating topic. There's so much going on. It's dizzying how quickly the space changes, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you about it. I'm excited too. And we've been following this topic more and more closely over the past few years. We've had many clients come to us with a range of questions about how consumers are thinking about technology to how they engage with it in their food lives. We've tackled client questions around perceptions and positioning for technologies such as precision fermentation, how consumers in different global markets are thinking about things like alternative proteins, which technologies to pursue innovation in. And of course, we have addressed these topics and much more in our updated food and technology syndicated study, which we released at the start of this year. Yeah, it's been exciting to see how much interest we're seeing in the space from clients, and there's so much energy around it. Seems like every time I log on and read news articles, there's some new surprising changes, some of which I think are really promising, and other thing, others I think raise some profound questions and challenges for the food tech industry. Uh, so a lot of things going on. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Well, it's actually the last point that you noted, the questions and challenges facing food tech right now. There have been a few recent events that I think raise some key questions about how this space is developing that are worth us talking about. For example, the recent announcement that Aero Farms, a, a vertical agriculture company that we've talked about before, has recently filed for Chapter 11 11 bankruptcy protection and is in the process of recapitalizing. Now, I'll admit I don't spend much time gleaning into the financial aspect of this industry, but yeah, I, no, me I'm still trying to figure out how to do my own budget. <laughs> you and me both. But <laughs> instead of looking at the financial implications where it, which isn't our wheelhouse of what happened to Aero Farm specifically, I want us to talk about the broader topic of how the food tech industry, including technologies beyond vertical farming, such as AI, precision fermentation, cellular agriculture, etc., have been positioning themselves in the broader consumer and food culture landscape. There are a lot of big promises being made, promises about how technologies can address some of the bigger challenges our food system is facing, like sustainability, equity, and access. And as exciting as that is, when you hear about the realities of many of these companies and start to wonder, you start to wonder just how much these big promises might not be telling the whole story about some of the growing pains of the industry. Are these early claims enough to capture the consumer? Right. I think that's a valid question. I think there's a bit of a, if we build it, they will come attitude in the industry. But if you take a consumer and cultural perspective, if we think about the conversations that we've had with consumers, we've seen a more complicated picture of what they will come might actually mean and look like, and, and even who they might be once there are actually existing products on the market or more existing products on the market. Tell me more about that. Um, what do you see as the disconnect or tension between these promises and the actual reality? 
Sure. I, I think one of the questions is what the implications might be for consumer acceptance and adoption of these technologies that from the perspective of most consumers, these are novel, unfamiliar, and, and in some cases, alien, maybe even frightening ways of making food. Uh, I think when you think about things like, for example, cellular agriculture or precision fermentation, these are complicated, high-tech and, and deeply science-driven ways of making food, even if some of the basic aspects of it aren't new, right? right? Fermentation, it's a centuries-old way of making food. Mm -hmm. um, cellular agriculture, it's grounded in work on stem cells. But from the perspective of how consumers kind of generally assume how food is made, rightly or wrongly, these are unfamiliar and they're disruptive and, and perhaps even more so to the extent that we see food tech companies right now really explicitly spotlighting the technologies, often before the actual products are even out on the market. That's sort of, they're really talking about what these technologies are, putting them front and center. And I think there's a kind of uncanniness to the idea of these tech forward foods. Um, mm. There are, of course, right, consumer concerns about safety, the sort of ground base level concerns. Is this going to harm me? Is there right. going, are there going to be long-term health consequences to these? But more fundamentally, there are questions like, is this real food? Is it artificial or synthetic? Um, you know, there's just a challenge in consumers' minds in terms of just how you even categorize this as food, especially when it's divorced from some of those familiar signifiers of real food, right? Nature, land, soil, living animals, farmers. And, and so there's this question of, how do I, as a consumer, evaluate this product on the shelf when it's been made through a process I don't fully understand, let alone fully trust? And then at the same time, where you think about, you know, things like how food is typically made here, it's made by scientists, it's made by technologists. And so there's this kind of black box around it that I think also raises these questions about trust, about control. Uh, about understanding. So I know that these are some big philosophical questions, but they're tied in some concrete ways to what I think are some of the challenges that companies are having in developing, scaling, and bringing to market these tech-forward foods. These are such really important points, especially what you gleaned about trust. And But I think you're speaking to a key point that maybe is sometimes lost or muted in all the focus of the benefits of these technologies. And that's that ultimately these technologies will be embodied in actually existing products, um, foods and beverages in store or maybe online that consumers are going to be engaging with. Um, they'll actually be comparing to other products that are existing in their lives and trying to integrate this into their um, into their routines. And these tangible attributes and uh, dimensions will really matter to them, such as what is the category um, and what kind of occasions um, and assumptions are consumers bringing into their um, diagnosis of whether or not this food is good for them? What are the actual ingredients of how healthy or unhealthy, um, highly or minimally processed does it seem? And for most importantly, for many consumers, how will it taste? Like how easily will I be able to cook this um, and incorporate it into my routines? Um, the technology behind the food 
won't be the only, or in many cases, even the primary aspect that consumers engage with or maybe even care about. Right. Yeah. You know, I think consumers do think about processing, but not quite in this way. They think about more in terms of those attributes, like, is the ingredient list simple? Are there recognizable ingredients? Like, where does this come from? What's the sourcing? You know, are there artificial ingredients and those kinds of things? But in this case, the companies in the food tech space are really drawing attention to the technology behind these potential products. And that does raise certain tensions that, that I think are connected to or that are playing out in, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the infrastructural challenges behind the science. Yeah, let's talk more about these tensions. Let's dig a little bit deeper. The other day you shared with me a report from GFI, the Good Food Institute, a nonprofit think tank that works to connect and support um, some of these various verticals in the food tech world, specifically around alternative proteins of late. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that report and how it fits into this conversation? Yeah, sure. Uh, the GFI recently released a report based on an industry-wide survey they did of companies in specifically the cell-cultured protein space. And they highlighted some of the challenges that these companies are facing, specifically in things like scaling cultured meat and seafood. And there's a number of insights and conclusions in the report related to infrastructural challenges, which then I think, again, have implications for how consumers might perceive and engage with these tech forward foods. So, you know, to sum it up, the, the main focus of the report is around challenges that companies are having in finding the right inputs for cultured proteins. So for example, sourcing lines of stem cells for their work, right? You know, making cultivated meat or seafood, you need an original animal cell that then is, is built up through this complex process I don't fully understand, but that's a key aspect of developing these technologies. And so whether some of these challenges are in bottlenecks in getting the cell lines, actually getting them, getting the right kinds of cells, for example, are they genetically engineered or not? Are they sourced through animal slaughter? Uh, to even understanding the documentation and safety and testing requirements in, in certain markets, high priority markets like the US and Singapore. So, right, understanding the regulatory landscape to even challenges in things like religious certifications, um, there's apparently a strong preference uh, among companies to, to generate products based on cell lines that could be certified as halal or kosher, but in absence of resources, kind of explain how cultivated meat production can, can actually fit those certifications, let alone the kind of religious bodies and third-party agencies to do it. Is, is one of the, the challenges. So there's clearly a lot of things kind of behind the scenes in the, in the industry is facing developing and scaling these products, which again, the sort of backstage material reality behind all the talk and the promises, you know, they may not be consumer facing, but still have implications for consumers. The last one, the third point that you mentioned about re religious certifications, I think is so critical because it will impact many people's lives. That and the challenge in finding non-GMO or genetically edited cell lines. Um, and they really exemplify these tensions that we've been trying to outline. Um, and I want to go back to the religious aspect, but first, for example, I can understand why companies might 
want non-GMO or GE cell lines um, because it will remove some potential headaches, not only around regulatory, but around consumer concerns about GMOs or, or en genetically engineered foods or whatever feelings and sentiments they have around that. So those questions about sourcing cell lines are potentially very relevant for how brands uh, can and will market these products or, and how consumers will perceive and engage with them. And going back to the, this religious aspect, this is something that you and I have both heard firsthand in our research with consumers recently who, um, who actually observe halal um, that I expect will only continue to grow in discussion. Many of these consumers um, express that will this affect their, their identity if there is uh, something that was not previously halal in their mind that is now able to become that. And it speaks to a point made in our food technology syndicated study, um, who will be the audience, the correct audience for these technologies, what and how much will consumers need to know about the technology? And even more fundamentally, how they even make sense of the products produced through them. I mean, will cultured meat and seafood be considered vegetarian or vegan? Will it fit religious certifications when those certifications are based on food production methods involving real animals and agricultural based methods of production? Um, and even more basely, if these products are divorced from these common symbols of food, animals, farms, farmers, soil, and so on, will consumers even think of them as food, as you were alluding to? Will they treat a cultured chicken nugget the same as a raw cut of cultured steak or a carton of precision fermented milk the same as something indulgent, such as ice cream with precision fermented dairy and other ingredients? There's so many variables for us to think about and parse through at this stage. Exactly. And right again, we're kind of getting into some of these epistemological questions, but I think, you know, even taking a few steps back, you're right. The question of how these products will be categorized and understood by different consumers and even cultures is an important and relevant question, not least of all for just figuring out how to market and sell these. And, and don't forget, right. There's also just the basics like taste and cost. Mm -hmm. Price parity is going to be critical as well, especially for mainstream adoption. Um, we know that, that, you know, the price point on these will probably be pretty high initially, but, but getting a mainstream market for them will certainly require bringing the price down and as well as taste, you know, will this taste like quote unquote, the real thing will be a big question for consumers, you know, despite the kind of the promises now that these are going to be, as they say, nature identical or bioidentical, whatever term you want to use, you know, consumers will want and need to know is this, how is this going to compare to the other kind of options that I already have on, on shelf? Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you. Um, so how do you think we should see these challenges, um, you know, it, within the industry? Should we see these as signs of, you know, over-promising or failure to launch or, or can they also be seen as milestones in growth or growing pains? I mean, I'm personally excited by the technologies and their promises. I feel like it's never easy on the path to something new, um, but I feel that challenges often pave the way for more innovation. Um, and it can be hard for really disruptive things, but I still see at least some hope that the promise um, will be achieved in the future. 
Yeah, I, I, I appreciate and I think I share your optimism. It's it's probably going to be a long journey for, for some of these. Uh, but then as we've seen, things change so fast. Uh, I, I think it's important for companies to keep these cultural and consumer questions in mind, which clearly they're doing to, to certain extents. But I think, you know, among the challenges they're facing is that all of these promises of disrupting or, or quote, fixing the problems of our food system, that's kind of the currency that they're trading on, this potential to address these challenges, even as they face other challenges that might undermine their success. You know, mm-hmm. For example, there's been some people that have pointed out that the, the promises of reducing resources and, and, and resource waste for these technologies, they're premised on things like how these companies are going to source energy for their production, meaning if they're not using something like renewable energy, for example, they might not actually result, result in, in reduced resource usage. And so all of these represent potential pitfalls that may undermine the promises and impact consumer trust. You can imagine uh, a, a, a future where, you know, some activists really kind of point out some of the, you know, some of the, the, the claims about sustainability, et cetera, that don't actually um, add up in these technologies. And, and that can have a big impact on, on the, the whole industry as well as specific companies. I think that there's clearly so much to unpack and you've you've shared a lot. I think this has been an, an incredible discussion. I wish we could continue on, um, but I think that we'll be sure to return to these issues in further in future episodes um, as things continue to evolve. But for now, thank you, Stas, so much for joining me and opening this can of worms. Who knows if they'll be cultivated worms in the future, but I thank you all for listening. This has been The Insatiable Appetite, our podcast about all things food, culture, and food industry. We hope you'll join us again soon.